Welcome to another episode of The Ladies' Room. I am your one of your hosts, Julie DeCarroll, along with Jane McManus, who is joining me. Uh, we have, I mean, we might as well get right to it, Jane. I feel like our lives have been consumed by Naomi Osaka for the past, what, 72 hours? Feels like that's all I've talked to anybody about. Yeah, well, it's a big story. I don't know, I can't remember ever seeing a player at the top of her game, withdraw from a major tournament, a Grand Slam event. And that's what Naomi Osaka decided to do, citing her mental health and anxiety. And I think we have to keep in mind just how much Grand Slam events mean for each of these players. You have Serena Williams now, who has 23 and has been stalled there for three years, Mm -hmm. trying to get to Margaret Court's 24. So one Grand Slam event in your career can be the difference you know, between being second and being tied for first. It's a big difference. And so every single one of these opportunities is really precious. So if you don't know the backstory, what happened is that Naomi Osaka, unbeknownst, I think, to most people, and, and certainly to me until she, she spoke about it, sent a letter to Roland Garros and the powers that be at the French Open and said, I'm not going to be talking to the front to the press after my matches. I know I'm going to get fined for it. Um, this is why I'm doing it. It's, it's because I, you know, I have anxiety and depression and it really affects my mental health. Sort of like, I hope you understand. Uh, they did not understand. And they, along with Wimbledon, the U.S. Open, basically threatened her with not only being forcibly expelled from the French Open, but with being expelled from Wimbledon and the U.S. Open. And I think they thought that would probably take care of it. Um, But it didn't because she pieced the fuck out and was like, all right, fine, then I'll withdraw. And she now says she's going to take some time away from tennis. And Jane, this is this is what really gets me about this conversation is that I've seen so many people say, well, maybe she needs to take, you know, some time and get her mental health together. Or maybe she needs, you know, a week off. That is not how mental illness works. You don't like take time off and then you see a therapist and then like two weeks later, you're all better. Like, I've been working through this for most of my adult life. So have so many other people. And I think that for people treating it like, well, maybe she just needs some time off. That's not what's happening here. And telling people that they need to give up their career for a period of time because you're suffering from anxiety and depression. That's not the rule. That's never been the rule. I feel like I'm waiting to learn more from her when she's ready to talk about it, about what exactly is happening. I don't pretend to understand or to pass any judgment on her. If she feels there's no imperative for her to play, it would be nice if if she had been able to sit down with either the French or the WTA well before this crisis occurred, because it doesn't seem like this crisis has helped her state of mind at all. Um, Right. It would have been nice if they could have sat down before and say, okay, What's happening? What can I mean? I think the pressure of a press conference, and I know that, and you and I have dueling columns out on this today on Deadspin. So, any everybody, go go read them for context. But um, the pressure. But <laughs> you're going to say everybody go retweet mine, not Julie's. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 read them, read them, not retweet. Um, no, but but the pressure, the pressure of a press conference is one of many pressures that's on a player like Naomi Osaka at an event like the French Open. 
you know, you are walking onto a tennis court with thousands of people watching the cameras are all over you. Um, you know, we've seen certainly from the U S open 2018 final when Naomi Osaka won her first grand slam event title that anything can happen on that court. And not all of it is good. She ended with the cha- with the title at that tournament, but she also ended in tears because it was a really emotional um, moment and match. So I, I kind of, I, I would like to learn more from her about what, um, what is happening. I think it's also important that someone says, you know, tennis doesn't come first. Something else comes first in my life. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's important for her to be able to say, go forward. But I've always felt like, you know, she was really well liked in press conferences. And, um, I always felt like people treated her really respect. And I have not been in every press conference, so I cannot say this without, um, qualification, but, um, but you know, she is a likable person. And I think she comes across in these events as being just a good you know, empathetic, caring person, um, you know, the way that she treats her opponents, the way that she responds to those pressure-filled situations. She is a true competitor. Um, so yeah, it's a real loss. It is. And I mean, everyone loses, especially the fans, because now we don't get to watch Naomi Osaka play in the French Open, which I was really looking forward to. Um, you know, as someone who has struggled with anxiety and depression, I, I feel like Anxiety manifests itself differently for everybody. But one of the ways it manifests for me is that things that are not a big deal become such a big deal that I just can't get past it. And if I have the opportunity to like bug out, you know, and completely bail, I will do that. Then I, you know, and so that's something that I struggle with. And I'm twice as old as she is. Um, I certainly didn't have the capacity to deal with this kind of stuff at 23. Um, And so, you know, I feel that and I know that, you know, I've done interviews where I'm like in tears afterwards and I'm like, that was so bad. That was so horrible. Everyone's going to hate me. Everyone's going to laugh at me. And people that have listened to it have said, you know, you sound fine. You sound great. What's the big deal? And I'm just like mortified and think about it for days and days and days. So, I mean, I definitely can relate to her and I, and I also can relate to, you know, having lived overseas, Jane, as I know you can too. And I don't know as much about the UK, but I know that in France, um, press coverage is different there. Um, especially of sports, it's much more tabloidy. It's much more, I think, trying to bait someone into saying something that they'll regret. And, um, I don't, you know, I can completely understand her feeling um, like it's just something she can't do. Well, the the thing that's really tricky for these tournaments, though, is that marquee players like Naomi Osaka are kind of what keep the wheels on the bus in terms of press coverage, especially on the women's side. They, the marquee players like Serena Williams, I'll, I'll just give you an example. In 2018, I was at Wimbledon and Serena Williams was giving her pre-tournament press conference. And then later in the day, I think it was later in the day, Naomi Osaka gave hers. Now, I didn't know much about Osaka. She had not yet won a major. Uh, she'd played some tournaments and done well, but you know she was still kind of an up-and-comer. And so I just kind of stuck around for her press conference and was really blown away by her. I mean, you know, she was so funny. So she has that, you know, wry, understated sense of humor, which is just kind of daring and young and fun. And, um, you know, uh, and she obviously is kind of shy and self-deprecating a little bit. Um, and I just, I found her really an interesting person. You know, she had this, 
you know, she'd kind of had a, a foot in the United States, a foot in the Caribbean, and then a foot in Japan. That's a lot of feet. That's more feet than a person <laughs> actually has. But I think you, you know what I'm saying? A limb. I don't know. Um, but anyway, she has all of these different kind of, you know, she she has she is a, she has many cultures have contributed to her upbringing, and I think that's really interesting. So I kind of was was charmed by her and found her really interesting. Now, had Serena Williams not been speaking that day, perhaps I wouldn't have run into Naomi Osaka. And I think this is what happens: is that you know the players who don't need press, like Naomi Osaka and Serena Williams at the top, are the reason mm-hmm. the players who are up and comers are getting the press, right? Because you know, so let's say Naomi Osaka loses and then her competitor comes in for her post-match press conference. That's how you get to know that person. That's how, and this is how kind of it keeps these, you know, generation upon generation of athletes uh, are are introduced and known to, to the wider sports fans in addition to kind of what they do on the court. And I think it's actually that, that for the women's games and for, for women who are athletes, that there's a margin, there's a there's a thinner margin for error when it comes to coverage. You know, I think pre- convincing sports editors to cover women's events has always been, as you know, a more difficult proposition. In some ways, women's tennis was an, uh, benefited from the fact that the majors were co-ed events, and so you had the built-in press there already. And if they're going to stick around for you know John McEnroe, then they might as well stay for whoever's winning the women's tournament. And I think that it's harder for them to, uh, to, you know, women have to be available. It's it's a personality driven sport. It's an individual sport. So in some ways having compelling women playing is what perpetuates the coverage that, you know, leads to a 55 million dollar, you know, annual pay for Naomi Osaka last year between endorsements and prize money. You know, that's a shit ton of money. (laughs) And there are no other sports for women where you get that kind of payout. And part of the reason is that, you know, tennis and women's tennis gets covered more than other sports. And and I understand that it can be onerous to sit through a press conference. And I've certainly seen a lot of clips pulled out in the last couple of days of people asking really stupid questions or offensive questions. Um, But I will say that, you know, most press conferences are not filled with those. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, and and a lot of people, and, you know, Venus, Venus Williams talked about it today, how she just kind of sits there, knows in her mind that she can beat any single person who's asking her a question in tennis because she's much better at it than they are. Right. And that's her way of coping. And I think every player kind of has a way of of flicking away um, those questions. But I will say, like, most people in the media and in, in particularly tennis media, which is, you know, has a, a lot more women in it than a lot of other sports. Um, you know, it, it's not a bunch of people out there trying to trip people up. I mean, for the most part, it's people trying to get, figure out what happened and get to know people. Yeah. I, I was really interested to hear your point of view because I've never covered a, a grand slam event of way that you have. And so I was interested to hear what you had to say. And certainly we've all seen those moments, no matter what sport you're covering, where someone asks just an absolutely brain dead question or something that's like a gotcha question. Um, usually those are people that aren't around a lot that, you know, yeah. come in to cover for someone else or trying to make a name for themselves or, right. you know, whatever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I agree that, you know, I, I don't think the media is the bad guy here. And I, and I certainly, you know, in, in, have not intended to drag the media, but I do intend to sort of call out some of the people that ask those stupid questions. Yeah. Um, but I, I wonder how much the expectations 
factor into this now because, you know, when you're younger, when you're new, when people don't know who you are, you have a bigger margin for error. And now with Naomi um, having spoken out at the U.S. Open by wearing all those masks um, with Mm -hmm. different people's names on them, with the Olympics coming up in Japan, and I'm sure, you know, being proud of her country and at the same time being concerned about what's happening there with COVID, um, you know, these questions are going to come up. And I wonder if it was just her being afraid that she's going to set a foot wrong. It's going to be huge news all over the place. And that's where, you know, and, and all focus is going to be completely off. Yeah, um, no, I tennis. get that. You're, you're, you're so right on that. And I think that's the way to kind of look at it is like, what is this bigger context that she's actually trying to negotiate? Because that's not the media in the press conference. It's that she doesn't want to disappoint, you know, disappoint the, you know, maybe the Japanese Olympic committee or right. that, you know, she's got these constituencies that she's dealing with and she's got a want- bunch of endorsements. I right. mean, yeah. So, right. So is that, is that the media or is that, you know, or is, or is that something, you know, that there are things at stake in her life then, and, you know, people, she doesn't want to disappoint. And, and I think that it's kind of, it's important to step back and say, it's probably a lot of those factors at work here. And, and it's hard to, you know, and, and again, I don't want to make any assumptions necessarily about one thing or another, but when I, if I put myself in her position, I would, that's, that's exactly right. I would think about the bigger thing. So it's, so it's somebody asking a gotcha question on, you know, you lost the French open before, how do you expect to win it now? I, I mean, I don't know that that would be something that would throw somebody off so much, but you're right. It's more of these kinds of questions about, you know, how can Japan ethically have an Olympic event when most people don't want it? That's a hard one, you know, yeah, like, yeah, and, it is. And, that, and people aren't inventing that. That's not something that's invented, but when you have to respond to it. Yeah. That is, that could provoke anxiety for sure. Yeah. I think so too. And, and like, you know, um, my therapist always told me the greatest line that, you know, anxiety and depression lie to you and they make you think that things are true that are not true. And she may just have gotten to the point where she feels like there's no way to get through this, you know, that it's just a minefield. Um, I don't know. And then maybe it was just kind of a calling their bluff on it. You know, like, you don't think I'll walk away? Watch me kind of thing. I mean, I don't know. But I do feel like in this country, we love to say, you know, everybody loves to do bell, let's talk. Everybody loves to say it's okay not to be okay. But when someone actually, you know, says like, this is something that I need for my mental health, everybody goes, but that's not the way things are done. Like, you know, like, would it have been that big of a deal to just accommodate her for this and then have the conversation afterwards? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I mean, I, I think back to last summer when um, Jacob Blake was shot by police and she didn't want to play in the semifinal on the day as it was set. And they moved the day to that semifinal. They moved it back a day so that she could have her, a day where that where her focus was on Black Lives Matter and Jacob Blake. And then and then and and everybody had to to note that with her. You know, and that was something then that that she brought attention to and focused to and said, you know what, this has to this matters to me and it should matter to you, too. And I I felt like that was a a really brave thing to do at the time. Uh, And I was actually pretty encouraged that tennis accommodated her on that. So, yeah, she is brave. I mean, you can't you got to hand it to her. I mean, no matter whether you agree with her or not, she has got a lot of guts. Yeah, exactly. And I and I appreciate that she kind of forces us to look at the framing of the way things are set up and to say, is this useful? Is this necessary? I, I, I just personally believe that press conferences are necessary. And, and I think there are lots of reasons for marquee players not to do press conferences, whether it's that they want to manufacture their own brand. They don't want to say anything that's not scripted. Um, they want to present themselves in a certain light. They don't want to have a, they don't want to be taken off guard with a camera on them. I understand why 
that might happen. But I think if you said that across the board, press conferences are more trouble than they're worth, or you said for uh, women's sports, we're not going to have press conferences, that would set a tricky precedent that I'm uncomfortable with. Um, I think, you know, there are lots of, the, the tournaments have to manage this idea of access. Um, and, and I think that's why balancing Naomi Osaka's needs as a person against a sports needs or a tournament's needs, um, you know, it, it's, it's more challenging than it looks. Although, uh, what is it, the the French Federation president- I'm just going to bring this up. <laughs> I'm God. like, okay, so this guy is like fining Naomi Osaka because she won't speak to the press. So when she withdraws, he comes out and reads a statement to the press without taking questions. <laughs> Your cowardice, sir. Is legendary. Jacques, <laughs> sir. Jacques. <laughs> Gilles, Gilles Moreton. You know, yeah. I, I just would like to say to you that you are the, <laughs> you are ridicule. You know, <laughs> <laughs> ridiculous. Yes. Uh, yeah, I agree. And I, I appreciate your take on that. And, and certainly, <laughs> as always, Jane, you are much more nuanced and reasonable than I am. I just sort of like took off like a bat out of hell. But I've dealt with this uh, my whole life and, and I have a child who deals with it as well. So I take it personally. Well, and uh, I think this is the other thing. We want to support her. Don't Isn't that the instinct? It's certainly yeah. my instinct. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Especially, I mean, you know, I keep saying to people, she's 23 years old. I yeah. mean, when when Zach Greinke came out and said he thought about quitting baseball because he hated press conferences, he was also 23 years old. I mean, these are people whose frontal cortex isn't even fully formed yet. And they are dealing with just being on a, a massive stage um, and managing that. And it's not as easy as, as I think a lot of people think it is. No, it's not. It's hard for And, you know, someone else made this point, so I don't want to completely co-opt it, but Coco Goff was... 15 years old when she was doing press conferences, mm-hmm. you know, that's, and, and, and I think, you know, I think tennis does actually respond to criticism, especially women's tennis. There was a period of time when I was first covering tennis early two thousands when, you know, there were some young, young players, like teenagers who were like brands were sexualizing them with different mm-hmm. outfits and um and there was the this idea that the you were playing with the idea of uh underage girls being eye candy for older male tennis fans and that's a deeply uncomfortable thing um and i think they actually did pretty well with you know, I, I women don't have to present themselves as sexually as I think was encouraged in the past. Mm. I think we've definitely, it's definitely evolved beyond that. I I don't think that tennis is unresponsive to criticism. So, you know, hopefully, um, hopefully there are people right now talking to her, trying to figure out how to meet her where she needs to be met and, you know, and how to help her um, feel better. Just yeah, because the last thing we want is no, no Naomi Osaka at Wimbledon, no Naomi Osaka at the U.S. Open. No, I mean, nobody wants that. Right. Um, so, yeah, so so I agree. Well, next week, um, we'll give a little bit of a tease. We're going to have someone here who can speak to this much more authoritatively, I think, than we can. Um, so that should be interesting. But right now, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Jessica Kleinschmidt will join us here in the ladies' room.
Joining us this week in the ladies' room is NBC Sports Bay Area's Jessica Kleinschmidt. You may know her also from hosting the podcast Corked Up and uh, very, very famous for her love of wings, which is how she first came <laughs> on my radar. Uh, just so if you watch Real Sports this month, you will have seen Jessica along with Rhiannon Walker and Nora Princiati and a friend of the show, Melissa Ludke, on talking about sexual harassment in sports, which is not obviously all that we know Jessica for, but that's kind of where I wanted to start, Jess, because that was a lot to come out. I mean, I know that we had this story in the Washington Post um, that, that Rhiannon and Nora were part of. And, you know, I think that those of us who are a little bit older in this industry always hope that it's getting better and that the women coming mm -hmm. behind us are escaping some of the things that we had to deal with. And um, that clearly was not the case with you. Correct. And and it's funny that you mentioned, you know, older and I don't want to, you know, Andrew Kramer's experienced for sure. And and off off camera, we were just talking about how even as long as she's been in the industry for decades, it nothing's changed. And, yeah. you know, all the interviews that I that you actually saw, maybe I, I think I got a very small amount compared to everybody else, but they were at my house for two and a half hours. We were talking about all kinds of stuff. And you know, that's what was interesting was we got 15 minutes into the glimpses of our lives and you could just see on all of our faces. We were, I was exhausted, you know, by, by the end of the interview, it was just like, I can't believe all this shit that I've gone through. And, you know, I like to pride myself on being somebody very, very strong, but I cried three or four different times during the taping itself, just because mm -hmm. I felt like I hadn't really been able to talk about it as opposed to just kind of unfortunately casually bringing it up and being kind of funny about it. Like, oh, the boys will be boys type of a deal. And I know you guys can understand that and appreciate that to a certain extent. So, but I also, I wanted to make sure that we had um, a platform and, you know, they interviewed about 50 women and only four of us were brave enough to talk on camera. And I was still nervous. I was scared to death that somebody was going to backlash me or the guy himself was going to come out. Cause I, I didn't want to reveal his name. Cause I still have such a good relationship with the club and everything like that. So it was so many different emotions. And by the end of the taping, I was just emotionally shot. Well, I just well, wanted to say, like, can I follow up real quick, Jane? Cause sure, I just want to say, so I have also done the real sports rigmarole yeah. and people don't, I mean, I think I sat with John Frankel for something like seven hours right? and I was the same. I like, I cried, I was sweating. I was like, I'm sh and then at the end of it, it all wound up on the cardio room floor. So like, yeah. and I was talking about mostly about online harassment when I was talking. And I think that people don't realize like how long those interviews go and yeah. how probing they are and how much you're asked to share. So, and not only that, they're like right in your face the whole yeah. time. And they moved like all the furniture out of my house. They did that with me too. It was a very, <laughs> we actually kind of looked at it. It was like, the Saskatchewan, we should probably keep it. It doesn't look too bad. I kind of like this feng shui stuff. Yeah. They so, had like this yeah, command was... center set up in my kitchen. And now yeah. my husband and John Frankel are like best friends. Like at one point they were sitting on the stairs, like sharing, comparing their shoes or something. I don't know. Ooh, but I mean, go. it's a lot. And a lot of what they, they've taped doesn't make it. Like my entire thing wound up on YouTube instead of on real sports. And uh -huh. then it became uh, Julie lied about being on Real Sports. So that's always fun. Oh, uh, Sorry, Jane. I just had to throw that in there. <laughs> no, totally. But please, you know, that's a great experience to share. <laughs> I mean, it, but it is true. Like, I do think that the, for, for you, Jessica, it, it really comes down to what kind of a backlash are you prepared to accept? Because um, there, that, is the, that is why women have stayed silent for so long. 
who are in this business? Because it's what sort of, what, what future opportunities do you want to sacrifice for, for talking out loud about this? And one of the things that I've been gratified to see in the last year or so is that women who talk honestly about their experiences are not seeing that subtle, oh, we're just going to move your beat or we're, um, you're just going to be working with a different editor or we're, we're, you know, giving you this parallel opportunity that is not what you want. And I have, I, I think that's different from what I've seen happen to women who spoke up about things in the past. And for that, I'm gratified. Is that, um, in terms of like the support that you've gotten and what you've heard in terms of feedback, how's, how's that been? Phenomenal. Honestly, um, the, I think everything comes with negative comments, but the ratio has been outstanding. Um, people that I didn't even know were paying attention to my work, um, were messaging me and saying like, wow, you're so professional about it, which is, you know, for me, I don't, I'm not saying I'm not a professional. I just feel like I'm just sometimes the, the funny girl that's around that likes to talk about sports, you know? Um, and so I think I, I got a couple of negative comments. There was one that really, and I sent it to Julie. And the only reason why it pissed me off was somebody said, oh, we're still taking Jessica Kleinschmidt seriously in 2021. And I thought it, and I, it was just a, a, a Twitter, um, comment, but then, you know, you stalk them sometimes cause you'd like to self-harm. Um, you want to see who they were yeah. and this person's followed by a lot of people in baseball media. And that's why I was kind of thinking like, well, why is this person attacking me on social media? And the reason why I was upset is like, this is why women don't say anything. This right. person was saying they cannot take me seriously for the fact that this minor league pro- professional coordinator in the press or communications sent me a dick pic. And it's not like I, that's not being taken seriously. Are you kidding me? Not to mention it was backed up with somebody else who had the exact same thing. So that's why that's the the stuff that I was upset with. But beyond that, like I kind of let it go because the support was outstanding. However, I did receive a lot of messages from people who were very harassing to me in my career saying I was very brave. And it was like, you have so much fucking guilt right now. (laughs) Like you were the reason why I did this documentary. Are you kidding me? And it was, there was like three or four different men who have been very awful to me in my career saying I was brave. I'm like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Just and- let, them, let them all come to Jesus. Let them all see where they've gone wrong though. I mean, I, hopefully they see it. Hopefully they're coming to you because they feel a sense of guilt and are yeah. like, I think I piled on when I shouldn't have been doing that. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, it, the timing was just impeccable. I know I, I I was hearing from people that I haven't heard from before in, in both good and bad ways. But these people literally I haven't talked to since they made my life kind of shitty. And it's it's from that uh, perspective. But, you know, um, it's it's I think it's such a good step in the right direction. And I and I was filled with so much love, you guys. And I know there was some negative stuff, but the love just like overflowed and it was great. And like I said, people that no offense, I just I look at them as like these stuffy baseball writers, but they actually were so kind and so graceful with it. And that stuff is what I'm hanging on to, but it, it went great. Everybody at work was great about it. They, they were very supportive. Um, and so I, I think I need to hang on to that stuff more than just the negative, you know, but I think we all kind of do that. I, uh, while you were talking, I just responded to that guy and I got my very first, uh, are you sure you want to send this from Twitter? And I was like, yes, I do. <laughs> So I've done my good deed for the day. You know, it is, it's true. I mean, we know that whenever we speak out about this stuff, that there's going to be a backlash, especially if you speak out against, a, you know, a certain website that right. a certain demographic seems to love. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, 
I've were I struggle a lot with this before I open my fat yap on Twitter and and get you know creamed for it. But I I you know I always feel a responsibility when I think of the women coming behind us, and especially yeah. you know it, I was so upset watching you and Rebe because I've known both of you for for a long time since you yeah. guys got into this industry. And being like, well, shit, like it's still happening um, was upsetting. And so I always feel sort of an obligation to say something. And and I feel like it rarely works out in my favor. (laughs) And I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you know, a lot of times when you do say something, it's just silence from so many other women around you. And I don't want to ever put women in a position where they have to speak out because I I don't think that's helpful. But I do wish that we had each other's backs a little bit more. Were you worried about that? Um, Yes and no. I, I felt like the, the, at the very beginning, a lot of the congratulations was, Oh, you made it to HBO. And it's like, did you guys even watch it? Like, I don't, does it matter that I was on HBO? Don't say congratulations. (laughs) Like this isn't, this isn't necessarily the thing. (laughs) But, um, and I, and I get where they were coming from, but it's no different from, did you even read the article type of stuff? Like I wrote that in the article type of type of deal, but, um, I feel like I actually got a really good response from women. Um, and I'm at like, kind of, you know, I've been in the industry for maybe five or six years, so I'm not exactly brand new, but I still have a lot of work to do. So I'm kind of in the middle. And so I have people that look up to me, but like, even Julie, you of all people, like, I think you were one of the first people to kind of remind me. Like, even though somebody says something crappy on social media, like it's okay to kind of react to that in a way. And it's interesting that you brought that up because I'm very much around my group of, of sports women. If I see something going wrong, I just want to take care of it for them just so they don't have to suffer at all. And then the next thing you know, you're, you're pouring out of an empty cup. So I, I tried to remind myself that when I want to support them, but it's nice to have the support back. So I'm very much reminding myself, like they're allowed to have my back as well, um, because I'm kind of the one that just likes to go full forward. But the everything around it just feels like in the last few years, I've actually had a lot more women in my corner and I feel like it's growing. And I think that's a very positive outlook on this. And it was important because people, especially men, are so blinded by what we have to go through and, you know, everything. We have to take those extra steps. And I think this was important to, to show that because, you know, for a fact, if we were men, we would not be having those discussions. You know, like I I broke some really great Fernando Tatis Jr. news and my mom got my mom and I got both anonymous text messages calling me a whore. And they would never, ever do that to Jeff Passan or John Heyman and stuff like that. So I feel like they needed to show how women are just treated differently. And it just, that's how it is. A hundred percent. I mean, and, and always have been, you, you had a, you had a bit of an unconventional entry into mm-hmm. sports writing, which I, I think is, I, and as, as you both know, I did a um, radio show with Sarah Spain for many years. She's still a good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And she also had a similar way of, of, and not a similar way, but her entry was also unconventional, right? Yeah. Like she, she was funny. And I think the front door, like for sports writing for women over the years, and certainly women of my generation and probably, you know, a decade after I arrived, um, you know, it was a very small door. <laughs> like you, yeah. you the only, only so many people could kind of fit through the door. So yeah. I think there were a lot of women like Sarah who was like, you know, I don't want to necessarily go to, to J school and, yeah. you know, and I'm not a, I'm not a former athlete, so I can't be the, the jokester former athlete on the set. And I want to find my niche. My niche isn't there. And I've got to kind of create it. And it seems like you had to do the same sort of thing when you were coming in. 
Yeah. And it's lonely there. You know, I've always been the black sheep of just my family and my friends and stuff. So going into this avenue where I, I mean, I played baseball up until, you know, I was a sophomore in high school and that's pretty much it. And, and, you know, I, I don't know what, I don't know why I decided to do it or how I decided to do it, but I was like, I'm going to go do it. And sometimes I'm insecure about that. You know, I don't have an education to fall back on. I'm literally a community college dropout. And, you know, it's, and it's, it's weird because even when you see all this, like I'll watch myself on TV and I was like, I was like, how the hell did I get here? Like, I don't have any sort of training or anything like that. And sometimes I'm deathly afraid of that. And I don't have anything to fall back on whether this works out or not. But at the end of the day, I'm also like, wait, you got here, dude, like that's baller. And so it's cool from that perspective. But I also know that that's not the case for everyone. So if I'm complaining about anything, I need to remind myself, like God blessed me in so many ways. But I also have no idea like how it works. And sometimes I'll talk to college classes and I feel so you know, hypocritical about it. I'm like, Hey y'all just to let you know, <laughs> like, it's kind of weird, but type from, from that, but I, I realized how small that window actually is. And I still, to this day, wish I had the actual timeline to show exactly what happened, but it just kind of did. And I just made sure I worked 20 billion times harder than I thought I should be working. And that's ultimately how it worked out. And, but yeah, still to this day, I, I looked at, look at some of my credentials up until all the stuff that I'm doing now, I don't know how I got here some in some ways. Yeah, you know, I I and I think that that Jane brings up a great point is that you know a lot of us came into sports and, and necess- didn't necessarily want to do what was already out there, right? right? Like it was like I you know I looked at all the guys doing stuff and I was like that's not what I want to do and I sort of you know have come to this place where I do I guess like reported columns. Mm-hmm. If, is that a thing? I mean, um but I mean a lot of us have sort of created our own like I don't want to say niche, but like our own thing that we do. Oh, yeah. Um, where do you ultimately want to go in this field? Oh my gosh. It's like the most difficult question. I know. And, and I mean that in the most beautiful way, because there are so many things that women can do. Like, you know, growing up, all I knew was, you know, sideline reporting as far as what women could do. And as time went on, it's, it's everything. So I kind of want to, like you said, I want to kind of do what I'm doing now. Like I'm, I'm the A's beat reporter, but I'm also, you know, hosting a podcast and I'm, I just have a new show coming out that's coming out. And did I say that twice? It's definitely coming out. Um, <laughs> it, it's certainly coming out guys. Um, is it I, coming out? When is I it? think it's going to come out. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> um, and you know, like I love columns and reporting and blogging and everything like that. So I kind of just want to be the Mike Trout of baseball media where I'm like doing the five tool thing. I want to do a little bit of everything and create my own job. And I, I don't even want a job title anymore. I I think whatever people want to call me, that's fine. Cause some people want to call me the A's reporter. They want to call me the MLB correspondent, whatever, call me whatever you want, but I want to do a little bit of everything. So that's, I'm just going to do what Jess Kleinschmidt feels fit. You talk about, I mean, I, I think it was only recently that people thought, um, well, when I say recently in the history of sports writing, that people thought that you actually needed a college degree in order to be a reporter. There used to be this whole tradition of people who just organically learned on the job and you'd, you'd come into a newsroom and there'd be a crusty old dude with a fedora and a cigar and he'd say, sit down, kid. And then, you yeah. know, you'd learn the ropes that way. It's only been recently that it's considered, you know, a, a profession outside of, you know, the newsrooms of the glorified newsrooms of the New York Times and Washington Post. But um, but so I think there is like this kind of older tradition, certainly not involving women, but of people coming in and kind of finding their own road. Um, you, 
you started off playing baseball when you were a kid and mm-hmm. and then not changing until you absolutely had to and telling your dad that you were going to cover the A's. <laughs> yeah, I there. literally did. It still gives um, me chills to this day. Yeah. Well, and and that's that's kind of my question is like, is is it just that, you know, because you couldn't play baseball, you had to figure something else out? Yeah, actually, um, I wanted to be the first MLB baseball player, like ever, like, and I stopped growing. I'm still five, nothing. And apparently you have to like hit hundred mile an hour baseballs, like F that noise. No, thank you. Um, <laughs> so I love talking and I love writing. And I remember when I, when that day that we got back from the Coliseum, I was like, dad, I'm going to cover this team. And he, and I was only 12, but he knew I was great with words and whether it was speaking them or, you know, getting myself out of trouble or writing, writing great um, stories and stuff like that. And listening, I was such a good listener, which is so weird to say for a 12 year old girl. Um, um, I just pretended like I didn't, you know, as a typical 12 year old girl. Um, and I, I thought, you know, I kept playing, I kept playing and I, and I thought, well, you know what? I I'm not as good as I used to be. And then when I switched to softball, like I played on tournament teams, I kind of had this resurgence. Cause you remember I had to learn softball after playing baseball. I basically had to learn a new sport. Yes. Yeah, different and, sport. Exactly. And, um, you should tell the high school coach that, that I tried to try out for, he doesn't believe that, but here we are. <laughs> um, he sees me on TV. He knows. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, so that was kind of a resurgence for me. And I just remember just being such a nerd about the game and thinking like, I just want to talk to people about this. And I just remember like kind of making my way on social media, just like being curious. Like I would just ask Dallas Braden questions, or I just asked Dontrell Willis questions or Michael Morris questions. Cause I was genuinely curious, you know, being kind of this girl who grew up around a baseball field, that was no different than what these guys did. Right. They just kept playing, which is kind of weird to really think about. And that's kind of how it was born. And I thought, well, you know what, if I'm not going to be able to play the after, actual game and especially not going to be able to go pro softball. I need to figure this own thing out and this, this out. And I was thinking like, if I already had, if I was already just different growing up, I was always the girl on the boys team, or I was always, you know, kind of the first person there, the last one left. Like, why can't I just keep going? And especially growing up, I wanted to be like all the other girls where they were so pretty and like they were cheerleaders and they were, you know, dating the football quarterback and all this other stuff. And I was like, that's great. But like, why am I trying to be like them? So once I started embracing just who I was, I thought, well, if I can create this own thing on my own, like why, why not? So that's kind of where it ultimately was born. I just wanted to create content and show what I was talking to and like acted like I was just having a conversation with the player and it'll end up on TV or end up on print and stuff like that. So it was just about kind of creating my own voice and showcasing it to the world and making sure both fans and baseball hardcore fan like people were happy with that. And also, I just love the game so much. So you, and that just goes into show in my writing and the fact that I'll work those 12, 13 hour days, no problem. And so, yeah, I had to figure out my own way to stay with the game. And after my dad died, especially, I wanted to hold on to baseball a little bit more because he was the reason why, um, you know, he, when I told him I wanted to cover the A's, he was like, okay. And we all need a, a male figure like that in our lives. You know, <laughs> he wasn't, oh, okay. So it was, it was fantastic. Yeah. You know, I wonder when we get to the point um, where we stop assuming that men are the baseball people and women are somehow lesser baseball people. Um, right. I, too, was a person who shunted off to softball and, and just didn't want to play softball and so yeah. eventually quit. Um, but, you know, it's funny because when I was when I was coaching my son's little league team and it was like a travel team, um, 
he had a coach, a, a group of men coaches who just kept yelling at the guys not to walk. They'd be like, be a hitter, be a hitter. Don't right. just stand there. And I would be like this kid, because I was keeping stats. I was like, this kid's yeah. on base percentage is 700. So maybe just yeah. let him stand there. And was that Joey Votto? It was probably turned out to be Joey uh, Votto. It was, <laughs> but I mean, it was so aggravating because then I was like, you know, I'm like, look, look at this. Like you've got runners on base because they're walking. And, and they would yeah. be like, oh, what is that? That money ball stuff. And I was just like, it is amazing yes. to me that there are so many of these guys out there who really don't know much about baseball. Right. But they are the head coaches and they are, you know, the ones who get the jobs and everything mm -hmm. because they're men. And it's it's just a source of unending frustration. Of me. A lot of them are just like mad they peaked in JV. That's <laughs> that's literally what it is. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, you and I literally have the exact same baseball playing resume. That's <laughs> like, exactly. no. Relax. <laughs> Amazing. That's great. Yeah. Well, so that's so that's so great. So you've had this great response. You feel empowered to do this. And what do you think, you know, what do you have coming up just this season? What do you what I mean, we've had a pandemic year. Everything is kind of gonna feel, I think, weird and new. Like yeah. what is, you know, what do you have on tap? Um, I don't know if you heard, but I do have something coming up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, coming up. <laughs> Were you on HBO last night? I think I heard something. <laughs> Um, but I'm actually really excited. Um, it's called All A's, and um, I'm just interviewing a bunch of the players and, of course, manager Bob Melvin. And it's all from my house, but I'm trying. We're trying to do a little bit more open stuff. We are going to have in-person interviews coming up in the next like couple weeks, which is great. Um, and so that can actually kind of bring me back to that. But I was very lucky in 2020. My career kind of blossomed, and I was so lucky from that. But um, yeah, so I have that show coming up. We're going to continue all the A's coverage, which has been really fun. I'm still doing some giant stuff and some MLB correspondence work. Um, but I'm hoping in the next year or so I can go national. I mean, I love covering the A's. I wish I could take them everywhere with me, but mama's eventually going to have to spread her wings. You know, I'm a peacock man. You got to let me fly. So <laughs> it's kind of like from that, that demo. And, you know, I, I love a challenge and everything I've done. I've like the next step, but I don't know what the next step will be for me, but I'm excited to find out. And, you know, I, there's so many things that I want to do in my life and it's personal stuff too. Like I want to eventually hopefully find a husband and, and get married and have kids and, and, you know, do all the, all the things on top of, you know, building my empire and all of that. But I, I felt like this was such a good, important thing because this will be around forever. My kids can watch it. My niece and my nephew can watch it. And, you know, my brother, who has been phenomenal about my career, he also doesn't realize some of the BS that I have to deal with. And and he's watching it and he's, you know, it's opening a lot of doors. So I'm hoping it just shows a lot more grace with us. Like, don't baby us women. We we got this. But like, you know, remember that we have to take those extra steps too. And I'm really excited for the future. Well, Jessica, we are excited to watch you. Um, thanks so much for coming on. Um, I'm, I'm really proud of you for being on Real Sports. I know how difficult it is to open yourself up like that. And we wish you all the best going forward. Thank you. And Julie, you've done so much from the beginning. And I just wanted to say thank you for that. Um, every time people ask me who I look up to, I always mention you um, just because you reminded me myself that no matter how tough we are, it's you're it's okay to have those sad days and everything like that. And that that small piece of advice you gave to me years ago is has resonated with me and it's done so much to me, not just professionally but personally as well. So I wanted to say thank you for that. Aw. I don't even know what that's to say. That's really yeah. nice, Jess. Now I'm embarrassed nice. and awkward. Aw. Good. <laughs> Good. You know what, Jess? Thank you for telling her that because I think it's really important to hear that you, you know, you hope 
Julie hopes she's making a difference. We all hope we're making a difference, but to hear that you actually have, I mean, that's really great. Thank you, you genuinely are. And I, and, and it sucks that no, not many people are telling you that, but some people are just as scared to give compliments as they are to talk about scary stuff. So don't, I, I remind myself of that all the time. Like my mom, she needs to do all of that stuff too. That's a whole different podcast, but no, Julie, you're doing a job. That's well, a whole mommy. That's a whole mommy thing. But no, hilariously, Julie, I used to listen. <laughs> I used to list Jane as one of the people who I looked up to. And um, then we got a podcast together and we're like the same age. So now it's weird. <laughs> so, <laughs> so now I have, to find, it? Okay, I have to find someone else. Totally. But no, no, that's not okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't even joke. <laughs> we're doing all, all right. right. All right. You guys are the best. Uh, Jess, thanks so much and have a great season. Of course. Thanks, guys. So I'm so glad that Jessica was able to join us because I think that she and Rhiannon and Nora Princiati had a really, you know, started a really important conversation um, on real sports of all places. It's not a conversation that that hasn't been happening. I mean, obviously it has, but I think that whenever real sports is sort of, I guess, our 60 minutes when it comes to sports and they, um, you know, especially Andrea Kramer, they always do a really good job of, I, of, I think, you know, bringing some of these issues to the forefront. So I was glad to see that on there. A hundred percent. And also I just, you know, I, I like also the evolution of the way that women in media are thinking about this. And she's a really good representative. It, it's not, you know, uh, be quiet and pretend it didn't happen. You know, like we've moved beyond that. And I think that's a really, that's a really good thing. And I like seeing the women who've come up recently feel empowered to be able to talk about their experience without shame. Yeah. And I have to say my very favorite moment of that entire segment was afterwards when Brian Gumbel asked Andrea Kramer, friend of the show, Andrea Kramer, if she was surprised and the look on her face for a brief (laughs) second was like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, right. Exactly. But then being exactly. the pro she is, she she pulled it back and answered very politely. But I don't know if I would have been that polite if someone had asked me that question. Also, um, by the way, like most useless question ever, are you surprised? <laughs> Does it matter? Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's a it's a binary question. So you're getting a yes or a no. And I, it's the it's this, you know, are you are you sad? Are you sad that I mean, it's just it's like applying an emotion for any, any journalism students out there remove are you surprised from your vocabulary also andrea has been doing this for like 30 years do you think she hasn't been harassed in her time i'm guessing she has exactly i mean i do i love that idea that like oh you know andrea kramer was and is adorable so of course she's and not only that i you know she was a ballet dancer but it's not only that it's not about looks it's about power yeah so it's not you know any any woman is going to have it have done this if you were in that position it was going to have to have dealt with that if you've been in this position absolutely there's there's not a woman in sports that was surprised right by that segment are you surprised are you surprised by this? um yeah i was like i just i laughed out loud i like cackled seeing like the brief flash of, of what she wanted to say on her face um so that was great so um you know i know we had a long weekend and rather than get into more sports stuff, which is going to make me angry, um, <laughs> do, what are you watching right now? Um, so I, aside from, you know, the sports watching that I do, I have been watching a little Ted Lasso. I need to which, start this show. It's fantastic. It's so funny. So as somebody who moved to the UK, actually Richmond, the neighborhood this is set in, if you don't know this, Ted Lasso is about, is Jason Sudeikis stars in this. It's an Apple TV kind of prestige series. 
it's been renewed for its third season, but the first is the only one out yet. And it's, it's a, it's a gosh, darn it folksy coach, (laughs) Southern coach who moves to, uh, who's a, who's a high school football coach who moves to Richmond, which is a very Tony neighborhood in, uh, Southwest London to coach AFC Richmond, um, which is a, 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 you know, soccer, as we say, team. And it's hilarious. It's really, well, the team is owned by a woman also. So there are lots of like funny, um, it's, so it's not just like a sausage fest, like a lot of sports shows. Right. It's, and it started off, I don't know if it was for college humor or if it was for SNL. It was this little NBC, NBC promo for, yeah, uh, for an actual, for their premier league coverage. Ah, oh, that sounds right. Just this yeah. little short that he did about like, what if an American football coach took over a soccer team in the UK? And it was hilarious. I mean, he obviously knew nothing about the game. And like, I, I've heard from so many people that it's the most uplifting show, which I think a lot of us could probably use right now. Yeah, 100%. It also made me realize that my friendliness when I moved to the UK and was trying to make friends with my um, with the British people who lived like in my neighborhood and stuff was totally, totally made me look like just a very happy puppy dog of an American. Yes. We just look like sweet little puppy dogs over we, there, yes they people are always like why do you want to hug me you don't know me. You know, like when i went to pakistan they were like okay to the americans please don't hug people they don't do that here <laughs> you know like yeah and i remember that in france too people just being like why are you talking to me i don't know you and i'm like i'm just right. in line at the post office just making conversation <laughs> and they're just like right. don't talk to me i don't, I don't aren't, know aren't we gonna be friends aren't we gonna be friends now <laughs> i'm an american don't you want to be my friend? And they're just like, exactly. Not really. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, you know, the one thing that I've been meaning to start along with Ted Lasso is mayor of East town, which I was oh, like, Oh, I'll watch that too. it's okay. so good. I was like, that looks so good. When I saw the previews for whatever reason, I just, it was always on at the wrong time or I don't know. But then I saw everyone absolutely freaking out about the finale. So now good. I'm like, I feel like I have to watch it really fast. Yeah, you do. You do. Kate Winslet's fantastic. I know. And I love, I don't think I've ever not seen something Kate Winslet's in. So I'm not super into like the whole crime drama thing. Like that's not really my bag. Um, But I made an exception for a very good, uh, you know, Pennsylvania, Delaware accent where she talks about going home and hoagies (laughs) and whatnot. But she's very good. She's just excellent. Plus, you know, like, uh, here's another thing. I'm going to, I'm going to just take it back a notch. You know, here's a woman who is, um, you know, she is finding ways to create um, excellent drama, you know, and create it. She's a producer for this thing also. Right. Like excellent roles for women beyond the young ingenue stage. And I just really appreciate that because there are lots of roles here for women who are kind of like, you know, Jean Smart's in this one. Another fabulous actor. I, yes. Whoever thought Jean Smart was going to be the breakout star of Designing Women like 30 years later. Right. I was a Samantha, or what is it? Suzanne Sugarbaker? I was a Julia Sugarbaker. <laughs> Julia Sugarbaker. That's who I meant. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, I was not the Gone with the Wind uh, type of... Uh, no. Bell, Bell of the Ball. Yeah, no, no, me either. But she, uh, Jean Smart is fantastic. I've been shocked at how good of an actress she is. She's great. She's also in Hacks. Have you been watching that? No, and you told me about it. I have too many yeah. things to watch now. All right. All right. I, I'm, I'm going to start. I'm going to start right now. Uh, what am I watching? Um, you told us what you're not watching. I, well, yeah, because all the stuff I need to start. You know, I don't know. Like, I'm watching a lot of sports, and I'm watching a lot of, like, UFO and Bigfoot shows, because that's my escapism. So... <laughs> 
that's kind of where that's kind of where I am. Well, we're right about now. to meet the aliens, aren't we? Like it's all You're about right. to be revealed. Well, it's been in the New Yorker now. I think it's all legit. So, <laughs> yeah. um, yeah, and and my my one, my favorite mystery, Dyatlov Pass, which is like these teenagers in Russia in the '60s who got murdered. Um, that finally has, we think, an, a, a resolution to it. So it's been a big week for the conspiracy theorists. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Yeah, how's um, gravity doing? Gravity, uh, it, you oh. know, it's not. It doesn't work. It's leaking in here from another dimension. It's okay. Very good. Very right. Good. Right. <laughs> Just checking. I don't know. You know, I always ask people what they watch. I always have this huge long list, and then I'm not watching. Like, so I yeah, I feel bad even asking the question now because I don't have anything good to suggest. I watched Russell Westbrook's uh, documentary on the Tulsa race massacre. That was great. Oh wow, yeah. And, I've been watching a lot of that as well. It's yeah, it's, can't recommend yeah. that highly enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been watching a lot of like history channel stuff and I don't know. I, I, I need to get into something. I haven't been into something since I finished Cobra Kai. Um well, which, I think which, Ted Lasso, you got to go with Ted Lasso. You'll laugh your ass off. I know. I know. And it's one of those things. I'm like, God, why am I not watching this? It's like 100% my wheelhouse. Yeah. Same thing with Mayor of Easttown. Can, can I just ask you one question? Sure. Why do they call her Mayor? That is a well, her, terrible name. Her name is like Mary. In the last show, it was like revealed because her mother used her her full name when re- referring to her like, you know, um, and it was like Mary Elizabeth or Mary Anne or something. Can they like just that. say Mary? I mean, that's like a horse. Mayor, I just, I mayor. don't, it's just, just unattractive. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's, I it's like one of those things where, you know, <laughs> my daughter's name is Charlotte. We call her Char. Yeah, I know. I know. But mayor just for me, because it's the horse just doesn't, okay. It doesn't work for me. You, did you but ride, you know, did you ride horses as a kid? Yes. Okay. So most, you're probably more sensitive to that than other people. Maybe. But you know, my all my friends in Australia have like super short names. Like if their name isn't already like Kim, like my friend Hannah is Han. My friend Sharon is Cher. My friend, you know, they they, they shorten all their names. Everybody like just Ashley Barty is Ash Barty. I mean. Yeah. Pick, pick your favorite syllable. Yeah, exactly right. All yeah. right. Well, that is it for us here this week in the ladies room. Maybe the Naomi Osaka thing will be solved by next week. And we'll hear that she's playing at Wimbledon. That'd be great. Yeah, that would that would be it's probably not going to happen. Probably not. <laughs> probably not. Well, probably. Thanks for listening. We hope that you'll give us a follow on social media at Jane Sports and at Julie DeCaro. Read and share our work over at Deadspin. And we will see you next week here in the ladies room. <laughs>